Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. Welcome to everybody joining us online as well. There are Sundays, which it's always great to get together on Sundays, and then there are Sundays, like this day, and uh, just an awful lot has gone into this day, and so if you're new, a guest, someone who's just recently been coming, uh, just we want to invite you into our family table today for what is, I believe, a moment of celebration that's kind of in the category of threshold moments in the life of a body, and uh, I've just been in quite a reflective posture that way. Uh, seems to be a season of life I must be in. Our firstborn, oldest child, uh, you know, graduating from high school and, you know, heading off to college in a few months. I said to someone before the service, I'm going against every bit of pastoral counsel that I give people that I'm living in 100% denial. So until August 16th when we drive her to Cedarville University. So, you know, that just kind of puts you in a posture of reflection as well. And then we have weeks and uh, like we had this week. So to kind of set the stage for this is in 1998, uh, we were a congregation meeting in Pike Township. And we were meeting in a warehouse space. And so many of you here were remembering that warehouse space. Do you remember that space there on West 71st and 465? And we converted a furniture warehouse into a sanctuary. And we were spending about 12000 a month to rent out that space to meet in as a body. Yeah, 12000 a month, and it was just going for rent. And then we, as a leadership group and as a congregation, got together and said, you know, Lord, it's probably much better stewardship over the long haul that we begin to pray and look to purchase some property and build a building. And so we found this 94 acres that we're sitting on now. It's a 94-acre piece of property in an L-shaped piece. And we purchased this land, and we built this 82,000-square-foot facility. We started construction in 99, and we moved in in 2000. In order to do that, we borrowed $4.5 million on the front end. And some of you who were a part of those first meetings, and several of you in the room have sat on the elders' board and have been through the discussions when... The mortgage at its peak was $26,000 a month. Let me say that again just to make sure you heard that properly. Like $26,000 a month is what we were paying. And, um, you know, we've been through a lot together as a church, have we not? 27 years together, the hills and the valleys and everywhere in between. And church, I can remember... I can remember some board meetings, Dennis Barrow, Mark Benson, Steve Swinney. You guys remember some of these board meetings. Tim Swearens, you remember some of these board meetings. We're like, we just don't quite see a pathway through, like the weight of, of the debt as a whole and just trying to sustain what we knew God was calling us to do for ministry. We obviously wanted to keep ministry moving forward, and yet we were responsible to pay off, just like in our homes, we're paying off our mortgage while we're continuing to live. And so there were just so many months and years. It kind of reached its, kind of reached a pinnacle around 2011, 2012, um, where we had from 1998 to 2012, the loan went from 4.5 million to 4.1 million. <laughs> so you do the math. We were on the struggle bus to get to the principal. We were doing interest-only payments for several years there because that's all we could really handle. So a bunch of smart people got in a room and formed a relationship with First Merchants Bank. December 28th of 2012, we signed a $4.1 million mortgage with First Merchants Bank. December 28th of 2012. In Eagle Church, this past Thursday, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that balance went to zero. 
God is so good. He's so faithful. And you guys are so generous and so sacrificial. When I first stepped into this lead pastor position, I was alongside Carrie, Carrie Bowman, our founding pastor, who I reached out to this week and let him know and celebrated with him. You know, if it wasn't for Carrie and if it wasn't for that original leadership team, we wouldn't be here. Uh, it was a huge step of faith for a group of people. And I was carrying some of that weight with Carrie for a lot of years. And then when you appointed me to the lead pastor position in 2013, the weight just goes up, as those of you who lead organizations know. And I remember a meeting in the early part of 2013. We just signed the documents with First Merchants, and the financial folks came kind of to kind of baptize me in as a lead pastor into the financial realities of the church. I was hoping that would be a much more worshipful moment. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was just a really weighty discussion about just what, just how everything was looking. And when they left my office, I pulled out a three by five index card. I knelt at my little sofa and I wrote at the top of that card, 4.1 capital M, and I circled it. I was in Joshua 6, and it was the Jericho story, and I remember whispering a prayer to the Lord. I said, Jesus, I'm asking for your help to bring down a 4.1 million-sized wall, and I don't know how it's going to happen. And I'm just a little overwhelmed with the weight of it all, and I can't see how we're going to get through, but I trust you, and I circle it, and I lay it before you. That was 2013, you know, somewhere around the June 2013 when you appointed me into the lead role and somewhere following that and somewhere in my onboarding stuff, that was some kind of a consecration prayer moment with the Lord. And then to think in his goodness of how I could have never imagined, you know, running the tape out. So six years, you know, June 2013 to June 2019 that we would be, you know, seeing the balance at, at zero. God is so good. You're so generous and so sacrificial as a body. And so I want to invite to the stage now to help us kind of consecrate this moment together. I'd like us to put our hands together. Welcome Josh McKinney, Vice President, First Merchant Bank. He's going to come up here. He's got some documents. Can you hand me, can you hand me that table there? A table with the bowl on it, please. Come on up, Josh. So Josh and his wife just welcomed their second child into the world this week. So Josh, I'd love for you to... Introduce your beautiful family to us, too. Just bring up the, yeah, bring up the table, and yes, thank you, thank you. Josh, if you introduce your family to us, come on, step over here on the rug with me and introduce your family to us. Thanks, Kevin. This is my, uh, is this on? We're working? Yes, Good. it's working. This is my Hold wife, Justine, and son, Austin. How old is Austin? Uh, he is one week old. One week old. And your first child is how old? Uh, turns two today. Two. They have a two-year-old and a one-week-old. So do you think there's any sleep happening in the McKinney household? No, there is no sleep. Not in abundance. Not in abundance. Not in abundance. So, so thank you so much for your willingness to be here today. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted Josh here is I want him to say a couple things just from his perspective about how the relationship has gone. And then I want us to have a moment where we can, you know, express our thanks and appreciation to he and the bank. You know, First Merchants took a risk on us. And uh, so Josh, just say a couple words about when we first stepped into the relationship, you remember the meeting, we were sitting sure. down in the conference room and you were looking at all the numbers and, and you stepped out uh, with us in this journey. Tell us kind of your perspective on what you've seen here. 
Sure. Yeah, there have uh, there there were some heavy meetings there early on, <laughs> um, but uh, you know we appreciate the relationship and look forward to it continuing. And this is certainly not the end, and and uh, look forward to continuing to see everyone. But um, but yeah, this is a an enormous accomplishment. Um, I was thrilled to get the phone call from Pastor Eric. I couldn't get the smile off my face. He said, "You'll never believe what we're going to do this Sunday." And I was like, "That is awesome!" <laughs> uh, huge celebration. Um, and rightfully so. A lot of people talk about paying off their loans early. Um, all types of organizations, businesses, um, not-for-profits, churches, other types of organizations, and um, no one actually does it. Um, that, no that's one just really the truth. No, no one actually does it. So this is <laughs> this is unbelievably huge. Uh, you know, it just takes so much stamina to stick to the plan and get all see it all the way through because of just the hurdles of life get in the way. You know the the um, the flat tires of business, so to speak, or, or just uh, mm. building repairs or other issues, just things pop up and it's hard to stick to the plan, let alone do it for five or six years uh, or longer. But, um, but yeah, so this is, this is awesome. Um, in the category of like $4.1 million in six years, like your experience, uh, that pretty aggressive? It's pretty aggressive. They're pretty aggressive. So we have a term around here, Josh. I know it's not really a banking term, so it's a little bit of a church term. So some people look at it and go, it's, it's, that's, that's crazy. But when we think God's a part of it, we say it's holy crazy. Like we think that's like a holy crazy deal when you Love go, it. right? Love it. June 2013 to June 2019 and to think 4.1 million. We're declaring it our holy crazy moment as a church. And, and we Great. do want to express gratitude. Do we not want to thank Josh and First Merchants Bank? Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for your partnership and their willingness to stay at the table when those discussions were a little challenging. You know, when we were placing calls to say, Josh, is there anything we can do? We're just, we're not quite sure a pathway forward. What can we work, how can we work together on this? And they stayed at the table and they continued to work with us. And um, they produced a few documents for us this week. So would you like to present the first one? I thought this was such sure. a nice gesture on your guys' part. It is with great pleasure. Uh, that I hand you this satisfaction mortgage document. So right there. How about yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Thank you. Thanks. This is the nicely letterhead. Certainly. We're going to keep this yeah. for our files, okay? And then there's another document that they sent me electronically, and I printed off a few pages, and we're going to do something special with this document. So, Josh, yeah, what else there, do you have in your hands here? There are some plans for this document. So yeah, there are some plans. This is the actual mortgage. So this is the mortgage. Uh, this is the front page of the original mortgage. And Dennis Barrow, are you in the room? Where's Dennis Barrow? Dennis Barrow, your signature is right here with mine. <laughs> he was the treasurer at Eagle Church at that time. And Dennis, this is the back page of the mortgage. So we've got the front and back page. The mortgage is too large to burn the whole thing because Carl was concerned about the sprinkler system going off. <laughs> so we don't need to kind of exit church that way, but maybe two pieces of paper, Josh, sure. from that. But Eagle family, I want you to think about uh, all that's embodied in this moment. I think about every $10 gift, $20 gift, $100, $1,000, and then gifts that with lots more zeros and commas, as we say around here. Some of you gave huge sacrificially zeros and commas. Some of you gave huge sacrificially $10 week after week after week. And it takes all of us. This is an all of us deal. It's more together every day, you know, around here. And this is one of those more together every day moments where we can say, uh, by God's grace, 
we have come to a place that we can declare Eagle Church debt-free. So Josh, would you do the honors with me? I thought sure. we could hold, the, hold this up together. There's some folks who want to take some cool pictures. This might be good for like first merchant like poster yeah, at some we'll point, see, right? Uh, yeah, we'll see how long our hot hands will hold up. Hold on, yeah. So when it gets a little too hot, we'll just drop it in here. Fair That's enough. the whole goal. So in Jesus' name, our mortgage is now looking like this. And so I was thinking about um, when I was reflecting on well, what is Jesus when he's hanging on the cross? You know, do you remember one of the words that he said at the end? What did he say when he was hanging there? It is finished. And so, by God's grace. Ready, Josh? One, two, three. It is finished, Eagle Church. Thanks again, Josh. Thanks for, thanks for everything. This is a part of the journey, you know. Let's take a moment and pray. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord and thank you, you, all of us. This is an all of us moment. Lord, thank you so much for a moment like this. It's a stake in the ground. It's a sacred moment. Uh, we burn this mortgage declaring it is finished because you have been faithful. All glory to you, all gratitude for your goodness, for the sacrificial nature of people giving, writing check after check, uh, you know, putting dollar bill after dollar bill in envelopes, electronically giving, a whole bunch of people who aren't even here worshiping with us right now, who are maybe watching online or going to hear about this later. Everybody's been a part of this since 1998 when we first stepped out in this. We believe you've led us to this property. We believe you've given us this facility. And right now we declare once again, it is all yours for you to use to forward your mission and your ministry forward in this world. And so we're so grateful for First Merchant Bank, for Josh McKinney and his leadership. We pray your blessing on the work of his hands and all that they're doing as a bank to help projects like this go forward. And we give you all the glory in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. One more round of a big applause. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Great. Thank you. All right, church family, have a seat, and then let's take a little stroll down memory lane together. Thanks to Mr. Keith Harshbarger. Oh, what a great moment. Thanks for being on the journey. Open up your Bibles to, uh, let's open up right, John chapter 6. That's where we're at today, John 6. And I wanted to frame our discussion for a few minutes today around what do we do when we encounter these holy, crazy moments, experience seasons of life? Like, how would God have us frame that? Because today, we're talking about a 4.1 million-sized mountain that at one point, we weren't quite sure how we were going to figure out how we were going to climb it, and now we're sitting here looking back on it and saying, he helped us climb that. Or you're maybe facing your own 4.1 million-sized journey, right? You're like, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through whatever it is I'm going through. Or some of you come in today, and you're looking back going, you know what? I wasn't sure how I was going to get through that health challenge, and God got me through it, and you're looking back on it. I wasn't sure how I was going to get through that situation with my marriage, and, and God got me through it, and I'm looking back on it. I wasn't sure I was going to get through that stuff with the kids, and I'm still dealing with that stuff with the kids, you know? But, you know, God helps us through that. Or for some of you, it's a work situation. Uh, 
you, were, you lost a job or you got a new job or the bills were stacking up and, and God led you through a mountain-sized set of circumstances and you look back on it. And do you know, what, what does it feel like when you're on the backside of a mountain like we're discussing today? What's kind of the emotional state? Relief, right, for sure. Joy, gratitude, right, fill in the gaps. What does it feel like when you make your way through something that if you were honest, you weren't quite sure how you were going to get from here to there. You just got there and you look back. So today, I want to spend a few, min few minutes talking about this. Joy is what we experience when we're grateful for the grace we've been given. That's what today is. Joy is what we all experience together. When we're grateful, this is the muscle we work, gratitude today for the grace we've been given. And so whatever it is you walked in here with personally, my prayer has been that you get a little splash of joy from our experience corporately as a body. Because today God wants to say to us, hey, Eagle Church, look at the grace I have displayed to you since you first formed together in 1992. And look at the grace I've displayed on this journey. And look at the ways I heard your cries for help. And look at the walls that I brought down. And look at the way I've carried you along as a body. Corporately, church, do we see that? Those of you who have especially a long history with us, it's supposed to then write, work the muscles now of deeper roots of faith and trust and confidence that whatever it is we're facing right now, personally or collectively, God is able God is faithful. God is strong. He is gracious. He is present. He is active. He can help us through whatever it is we're going through. And we've got 4.1 million reasons to declare that today. And so I thought about the story in John 6 where Jesus was on the scene and he kind of invited his disciples into a space where they couldn't figure out how to solve the situation they were in. The setting is this, John chapter 6. You can follow along on the screen up here. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up, saw a great crowd coming toward him. So you know, that's the thing with Jesus. Like, Jesus was the kind of guy everyone wanted to be around. Now, it doesn't mean everyone was jumping on his train, but they wanted to be around him. He was the kind of person who kind of had a ma magnetic quality to him. And so, where Jesus was present, crowds gathered which, by the way, is a good marker for you and I in following Jesus. Here's a good marker for spiritual growth. Am I becoming increasingly the kind of person that others want to be around? And that is like should be close to the top of the stack for evaluating how are things going in my spiritual life. Like, am I becoming who Jesus models here? In the way of Jesus, we're becoming the kind of people others want to be around. And that's what's happening with Jesus as the momentum builds. A disciple named Philip says to him, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. That's just like Jesus. Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's never for his sake. It's always for the sake of the one being asked. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to handle it. But just like we do as parents, we ask our kids questions, right, mom and dad, even though we know the answer to the question we're asking, which is super irritating to the child and super joyful for the parents. So I'm just saying. But this is how Jesus is doing. He's like, hey, I'm going to ask you a question, though I've, I've already decided how I'm going to solve it. But notice how he, he invites them into this space 
of uncertainty. He turns up the tension around this moment. You notice how Jesus does that with us? He turns it up. Look now, verse 6, or he said, he asked only to test them, for he already had in mind what he's going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So the math, Bible math on this is they counted the heads of the men, but that meant there were women and children present. So the crowd size is about 20,000. So there's a crowd, a stadium filled with 20,000 people. There's Jesus doing some teaching. It's the sun is setting. The disciples are saying, the stadium's filled with people. The concession stands are empty. We've got a problem on our hands. And Jesus knows how he's going to solve it, but he just kind of puts it back in their laps, turns up the tension of uncertainty around them and says, huh. And then Philip says, well, here, you know, here's, here's a boy, five small loaves of bread and, and a couple fish, five loaves of bread and two fish. And so three reflections on this holy, crazy moment to help us frame our own personal holy, crazy journeys. The first one is, I wrote in your notes this way, God leads us to places filled with uncertainty. Like when you link your life up with Jesus, here's what we have to become increasingly comfortable with, being led into the circumstances of our lives where we can't quite see how we're going to get through what we're going through. Like, do you realize, like, Jesus, he's the one guiding us into that space where we can't figure out how we're going to get through. Do you, do you, he does that. Like, like here, he's bringing Philip into the tension of uncertainty. I was thinking back, I remember when I resigned from my job at Eli Lilly in 1994, I remember sitting with my supervisor at Lilly, a marketing director. I was a marketing analyst there, and I was explaining to him that I was resigning and I was going to step into pastoral ministry. And after a long blank stare, and he had several questions, and I didn't have answers. I didn't know. He was asking really good questions, and I simply didn't know. Here's what I did know. God was calling me to do this, and this is a step I was supposed to take. But it was filled with uncertainty. And then I remember after I stepped away from Lily and started working here at Eagle and working alongside Carrie, I remember when Carrie, for the first few times we were sitting around talking about how we're going to buy copier paper and how we were going to like pay for the rent in the building. And then he goes, I'm not quite sure there's going to be any money like for any payroll at the end of this week or next week. And I go, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't see that one coming. So we were living literally sometimes week to week that way and it just filled with uncertainty. We weren't quite sure how it was kind of all get sorted out like that, just like in your life, just like in circumstances you're thrust into, right, where you, you're put in this position where you know you're doing what God's asked you to do. You've stepped out. You're confident He's with you, and you're, you're walking in His ways, and yet you're thrust into circumstances that are just, you can't figure it out. It's like filled with uncertainty. And I don't know about you, I value certainty. I, I put in my notes this. I put, I value certainty, God values faith. I value control, God values trust. I value comfort, God values character. Huh. There's a little bit of attention there. Anybody see that? I like certainty, control, and comfort. God's like, yeah, Simpson, here's the deal. I'm about faith, trust, and character. And do you see uncertainty is the soil in which the roots of our faith grow deeper and kind of the depth of our trust gets stronger. That's where it happens. 
when you're in those places where you can't see and you can't figure it out and you can't size it up, you can't put the plan together. When you're right there, you're like, God meets you right there and he helps grow that dependence on him. So for some of you, this morning is about maybe settling in and embracing whatever it is you've been thrust into the middle of that you can't see on the other side of it is that maybe God is present and meeting you right there. What what is he doing? What's he doing in that? Building trust, building faith, and building confidence in him. Building an ability to have an eye of faith to see. It's this character work on the inside. So when you're faced with a 4.1 million sized mountain in your own life, God says, I'll be present with you right in that, but it may be like Philip, asking a bunch of questions and turning up the uncertainty first. Let's see what happens. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, circle that in your Bibles, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Are you kidding me? Did you catch that? So five loaves and two fish gathered leftover, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So second observation from the story is that nothing is insignificant in Jesus' hands. Nothing is insignificant. See, because five loaves and two fish, it doesn't seem like very helpful on the front end of this, like how we're going to solve the problem. So I got, a, I got a little lunch sack here with five loaves and two fish, but the stadium has 20,000 people. On the surface, that doesn't look like a good solution to the problem until you put it in Jesus' hands. And then Jesus can take what you offer him and multiply it in a way and bring about an outcome that you could have never imagined. In our life here as a community, sometimes it can manifest this way. Well, Jesus, all I've got is a couple hours this week. And just place it in his hands. All I've got is, uh, you know, a, a little bit. I've got, I've got some gifts. I've got some experiences in this. That's all I've got. I've got a little experience in this. Just, just place it in his hands. All I've got is, I've got like $10 to, to offer. Just place it in his hands. And I think about our journey and where we're celebrating today, and it's the cumulative effect of all those little acts of faith and trust in Him that you were placing in His hands. I was speaking with a family before service today, and I remember when we first opened the mortgage, I remember this family saying, we're going to commit from the opening bell to just consistently giving whatever we can give every week to help one day this mountain come down. And to stand with them today and to think it's come down. And to think about every single check you wrote and every electronic withdrawal that was made, we bring to Jesus whatever we have to bring to him. We place it in his hands and he does something with it that I think we couldn't have really imagined. And that's what's happening in this story. They bring five loaves and two fish, put it in Jesus' hands, and he feeds 20,000 and has leftovers. Isn't that the character of the God you know? Isn't that the kind of how he does that? He comes through in a way and then there's some leftovers. So the application for us today, you know, we take our marriages and we place them in his hands. That's what we do. We take our jobs and careers, we place them in his hands. We take our children, we place them in his hands. We take our ministry dreams and hopes and we place them in his hands. And students, 
students, you take your, your visions and passions and dreams for college and career and all that, and you place them in his hands. That's what you do. That's our part. We place them in his hands. And then we let him do what only Jesus can do, accomplish something that is immeasurably more than anyone could have imagined. There's no way Philip or any of the disciples that day could have thought the stadium's going to be filled from a lunch sack with five loaves and two fish, but nothing is insignificant when it's put in the hands of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-gracious, all-loving God. He takes it, and he does something with it. And that's the story that we're talking about today in our own church congregation. That's what he's been doing from the very beginning. So the first observation in the story is, right, whatever we have to, whatever we bring, whatever we have to bring, we bring it and we put it in his hands. And the secondly, God leads us to these places filled with uncertainty. So when you get to a place, you don't know how you're going to get through it. Uncertainty is the soil where faith grows. And then you offer to him whatever it is he has to offer. And then thirdly, and we'll pull it together with this, verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, notice capital P in your Bible, who is to come into the world. The conclusion is this, that could only be God. It's kind of like an understatement in the Bible there, right, where they experience like a stadium eating 20,000 people from a lunch sack with five loaves and two fish. They're like, wow, that had to be God. Yeah, probably did. Yeah. It's kind of like today. Hey, Eagle Church, look back on this journey. It had to be God. Yeah. Had to be the Lord. Only God. The way he's going to orchestrate the circumstances of the story is to maximize his glory. So the conclusion is, as you look back, that could only be God. You know, that's what he's doing in all of our lives. That's how he's at work. You know, the Jewish people thought that their long-awaited Messiah was going to kind of come in the, in the way of feeding like the manna from heaven that, would, that fed the Israelites for 40 years in the desert. They thought their Messiah was going to like have the bread of life that way. And so can you picture what Jesus is doing here? He's feeding a stadium full of people bread to help kind of stir the pot for them to go, hey, yeah, by the way, the Messiah that you're still waiting for is standing right in front of you. They're going to chant crucify him in a few weeks on that, but he's standing right in front of them. And it was connecting the dots that way. And so I was trying to think for the last couple of weeks when I recognized this day was coming, I was trying to figure out um, how, do we, how do we represent a 4.1 million sized mountain? So I got some of the staff together and I say, how do we do this? How do we like represent 4.1 million? That's a lot. That's holy crazy stuff. And so Carrie Smith said, well, how about we get 4.1 million M&Ms and put them on the stage? Like 4.1, isn't that a great idea? 4.1 million M&Ms on the stage. And then she said, we'll just send like bags of M&Ms home with people, and it'd be like, you all helped eat the debt. Like we all ate it together, and that was a cool idea. So I called the M&M Mars company. I called their corporate headquarters. I got to their business division. I got to a guy who kind of leads the business distribution, like bulk ordering stuff. And I, he answered the phone. I said, I explained the situation to him. I said, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to purchase 4.1 million M&Ms, and I'd like to put them on our stage on Sunday for worship service, and we're going to celebrate paying off $4.1 million mortgage. Long pause at the end. <laughs> he said, could you repeat that? I said, yeah. I said, and so I explained it to him, and his, his, was, his, his was a statement. He goes, Eric, do you understand how many M&Ms 4.1 million is? I was kind of like, Yeah. 4.1 million. That's what I said. No, he goes, no, no, no. You don't understand. Like, 
there's a lot of M&Ms. I okay. I said, could you just kind of put your pencil together with a piece of paper, like figure out how do I buy 4.1 million M&Ms? I want them on the stage and we'll build some big container. He says, I, I need to put you on hold for a couple minutes here. <laughs> a couple minutes later, he gets back. He says, okay, I made a couple calls. I figured out what we can do. He said, number one, um, I don't think your stage can hold for, I said, we understand it's a pretty big stage. He goes, you don't have a container large enough to hold them, but if you do want to purchase 4.1 million M&Ms, we can get them delivered to your door for, with every discount, $92,000. I was thinking maybe five grand worth of M&Ms. I didn't know, like, 92,000. I said, 92,000? I said, you're kidding me. I thought he was, like, joking with me. He goes, no, you don't understand. Like, that's a lot of M&Ms. Like, we're going to just, like, bulk from everywhere to get you 4.1. So I said, how about mini M&Ms? <laughs> He's like, we don't even sell 4.1 million mini M&Ms. That's not even an option. And I said, well, we can't spend 92,000. I can't go into debt to spend 92,000. Hung up from that call, told the staff, got the staff back in the conference room. I said, guys, we need another plan. <laughs> Justin Langenbartle said, Justin says, how about like, what if we like brought reams of copier paper up on the stage? Because like, we have a lot of reams of copier paper in the church. And like every sheet of paper, super thin, right, represents a dollar. That's a kind of a cool idea. So we got our calculators out. Do you know how many reams of 500 sheets per, like 500 sheets in a ream? For 4.1 million, you're doing the math, some of you, right? 8,200 reams of paper would have to be stacked up here. The stage would collapse under the weight. Jeff Schreier's like, yeah, you can't put that on that, the stage he built here. 8,200 of those, like, we, no, we couldn't do that. So I thought, well, okay, so got him back all together. We did another plan, plan C. I spoke up and said, you know what? I'm going to call the bank. Josh didn't take this call. He was having a baby and doing all of this. So his friend Garrett took this phone call, his colleague Garrett. I said, Garrett, I walked him through the M&M story, Josh. I walked him through the copier paper story, and I said, Garrett, I really would love to visually portray to the church $4.1 million. Is there any way, is there any way we could stack $4.1 million of cash on this stage? <laughs> that was his reaction to! <laughs> He said, no, Pastor Eric, there's no way. <laughs> Fair enough. But he wanted to explain. He goes, man, that's a really great idea, but there's just no way to do it. He said two things. You could never have enough liability to cover it. And he said, number two, like, do you understand, like, we don't even carry $4.1 million in cash. Like, there aren't, like, the banks, he was explaining, like, the banks don't have $4.1 million in them. He said, maybe the Central Reserve downtown, but he said, probably have to go to Chicago or D.C., to get 4.1 million in cash. So at the end of that, here's my conclusion. Church, here's what I want to say to you. 4.1 million dollars is a really big number. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't have anything to visually, but I think in your head are M&Ms, copier paper, and piles and piles of cash to conclude. Look at what God has brought us through. So whatever 4.1 million sized circumstantial uncertainty you're in, something at home, something at work, something with your health, something with family, friends, kids, 
something with ministry, dream, or hope, students, something with college and careers, whatever, whatever mountain you're staring at, let today be the gift of some eyesight into, over, and through that mountain where God says, I will be with you. I will help you. I didn't say it would be easy. Everyone who's been in the trenches, gang, we've been in a lot of trenches together in 27. This has not been easy. This has taken a lot of sacrifice, a lot of work, a lot of prayer, a lot of intentionality. The bank's term was tenacity, they wrote in their letter. It's taken all of that from all of us for a lot of years. And you know, that's pretty good application to what it's probably going to take on the journey. And you say, why? Why doesn't God just make it a lot easier for us? Because look at who we've become. Look at what he's developed in us. Because it isn't just about removing the debt load. It isn't just about getting on the other side of the mountain. It's about who we've become while it's being done. Same holds true in our lives. It's not just about fixing and getting you through whatever it is you're going through, but it's about who you're becoming while you're going through it. So for the first time since 1998, Eagle Church, we are debt-free. And can you imagine what God has in mind? Can you imagine what he's got, his intentions are for the next chapter and season of our church's ministry? Can you imagine the gift we have just given the generations of ministries that's going to come, right? How encouraging are you to see the student section today expressing their worship? Your students are so encouraging to see you riding the Ignite wave like you are and taking Pastor Ian and Julian Brad's charge to not just make it a, a one-week experience, but to put it into every week type experiences. And you're an inspiration. You're an encouragement to the rest of our body. Church, do you realize, you know, what we've just done together is a gift to this generation and the generations beyond? You see that, right? Like, they're going to be stewarding this ministry long after we're all gone. And they're going to be carrying it out in the name of Jesus for his mission in this world. Can you imagine the plans and purposes he has in mind to be handed 70 acres, 82,000 square feet in the fastest growing community of Indiana? Do you think God's got something in mind? I think he does. And now it's time for us to pray some bold prayers, to dream some bold dreams, and to step out with some holy, crazy acts of love and courage. That's what's going to require of us now. Because God's brought us to this point. He shaped and developed us to get us to this point. And now, and now we begin. Can you think about discipleship missions and next gen? Can you think about those next chapters right now? Can you think about more together every day? Can you think about what more together every day looks like in the next chapter? Can you think about living everyday life with Jesus and what? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the culture of generosity we now get to step into at a whole new level? And man, I'm looking forward to that journey with all of you. Wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy to leave that when people think about Eagle Church, one of the first things they say is, man, that's a really generous group of people. Wouldn't that be an awesome legacy to leave? Well, Eagle, I'm standing before you to say, we now stand on the threshold of that and realistic opportunities to step in and all that in ways that we haven't been able to say since 1998. To God be the glory and gratitude to you and to your faithfulness. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm very aware that it's not just a, a church mortgage that looks overwhelming at times, but man, there's some circumstances in this room 
that look 4.1 million sized. And I pray that today, as we work the muscles of gratitude, as we're grateful for the grace you've given us, that you just splash joy upon people right now, that your joy would be our strength, that you'd give us perspective, that you'd give us eyes to see on whatever it is we're staring at and we can't figure out how we're going to get through. May today be a gift of faith and trust and confidence in you. And then just collectively as a body, from the depths of our heart, we do say thank you. We are so grateful for the grace you have given us. And we thank you, Lord, that you would entrust us with so much. Indeed, it's an entrustment from you. This is all yours. Um, Our lives are yours. Our resources are yours. This property and ground is yours. This ministry is yours. The name of Eagle Church in this community and around the world, it's all yours, Jesus. This is your ministry. And so we want to be faithful to steward it well. So would you help us now as we step into this new chapter, help us to do so paying full attention to you. We want to be fully obedient, responsive, sensitive, alert, aware to what you would have us do, the ways you would have us move forward. We pray that you would do what Ephesians 3 says, immeasurably more than all we ask, hope, dream, or imagine, that you've taken our five loaves, you've taken our two fish that we have placed in your hands, and you've done something beyond what we could have imagined as we continue to bring what we have to you. Be glorified in building your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to wrap up with a final song. The ushers are going to come forward. This is our time as a church family to give our offerings and gifts like you have been so faithfully doing for so many years and to thankfully say that you no longer have to contribute to the facility fund. Isn't that awesome to say? Though it's on your offering envelope, you don't have to put anything in that. The new envelopes will be printed shortly and that won't even be on the list. How cool is that? But thank you again for everyone who has been faithfully giving to that, and know that every dollar you put in there, we seek to steward for His glory to move His mission forward in this world. I want you to know that just this month, we as a church gave away $12,000 plus to needy families in our own body, like single moms, some foster care families, and some circumstances that are going on in our own body that just warranted attention and response. And our elders board, our leadership team got together and said, hey, we want to be able to bless and give. And so those checks went out the last two weeks and just to be a blessing. And then this past Thursday night, the board met, and we gave away $6,000 to some local missions needs. We're partnered up with some missions, uh, some needs in our own city, some things going on that just need some help and some kind of helping in parent life ministry with Youth for Christ, helping with safe families and that whole adoption process. So they were releasing $6,000 to go to be a blessing to some of our local missions partners. And this is just the beginning of what it means to start working the muscles, right, of just kind of generosity in a whole new way to be a blessing to not only the people in need in our own body, but to a world that obviously needs a lot of help. And we as a church want to be known as a place that helps people, all people everywhere. Amen. Won't that be great? So Jesus, take these gifts. We give them to you. Be glorified as we do this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, come forward. Stand together. Team, lead us.